Welcome to the Human Conversation Podcast with Jules White, the real dragon slayer, author and entrepreneur sales coach. Tune in weekly for human conversation about business and sales. Enjoy business expert interviews, educational episodes, and virtual cuppers with entrepreneur business owners. So grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy. Here is your host, Jules White. So welcome to The Human Conversation. And I have got an amazing guest with me today, the lovely Alison Taylor, who I have known for probably four or five years now. I probably met you, Alison, online, I suspect, in one of the Facebook groups somewhere along the line. Alison Taylor is a professional network marketer. So we're going to find out more about that. But in true traditional uh, style, Alison, I'm going to ask you where this all started. So tell me a little bit about where your career started. My career started um, teaching down in Surrey. Um, I went to teach a training college because I didn't think I was bright enough to go to university. That's another story. We'll have to give that one to Stefano, won't we? Um, <laughs> yes. And... Uh, so teacher training college at Gloucester, I always loved the food and the practical side of things. It was one of my best subjects at school and really did enjoy that. And the nearest college, there were specialist colleges in those days, was Gloucester. So I went to Gloucestershire College of uh, Home Economics and loved it. And then the Bachelor of Education came in just at that time. And although I hadn't thought I was good enough to do a degree, I thought, well, I can do an extra year. And again, in sort of true style, we wrote down all the positives and the negatives of should we or shouldn't we do that extra year? How much more money would we lose out? And uh, overwhelmingly, it said get a job. But anyway, we decided to do the extra year. But Gloucester then lost the, um, I think, the skill or whatever, but they, they didn't get the qualification. So we went to Bath for a year. So with four of my colleagues, we went and lived in Bath. And that was fabulous. Absolutely loved it. So, yeah, so three, four years learning how to uh, teach home economics and textiles and geography that came in there somewhere as well. And then my first job was in Surrey. So I went and, and taught down in, uh, in Surrey, which was totally new to me. And it was the 1970s. And I went to Walton-on-Thames and I went to the train to travel up to London. And all of these men came off with their bowler hats and pinstripe trousers and Times, financial times rolled underneath their arm. So it was a totally different world. And they thought that everybody north of Watford had coal in the bath. So it was quite an interesting education going down to Surrey. And you were from the Midlands, Alison, originally? Yes, born and brought up in Birmingham. Yeah, um, my father was a fireman. So we lived in a, a rented fire brigade house uh, to start with. And then when I was 15, we moved to a small village between uh, Birmingham and Tamworth. And that's when they bought their first home. But I still had to commute by two buses into Birmingham for the last three years of my schooling. And my friend says, have you got your bus pass yes, yet? Because I'm well past bus pass age. No, I hate bus travel from the three years of having to travel on two buses going in from Kingsbury to Birmingham every day. Yeah. That killed it for you, Alison, never to do it again. Absolutely not. Even though I didn't knit on the bus can you see imagine teenagers now sitting on the bus and knitting and I did knit a fair old waistcoat while I was uh, traveling those miles yeah that's a great story so you were teaching in Surrey as a young woman 
Yeah. And, and what happens next? So I shared a house with um, eight different traps, which was absolutely fabulous because they looked after me royally, brought me to the world of rugby, took me up to Twickenham and, and shared all those lovely things with me. And we just as a, a group, I suppose we were all a group of different professionals. I was the only teacher. And I suppose conversations got on and I said, oh, yes, I'm going to go and work abroad. And there weren't many jobs for home economics to go and work overseas. It's not like English and maths, which translates internationally. And so few and far between, but there was a job came up in Singapore and it was just magical. It was at the international school. It was state of the art school. It was go ahead. It was obviously, you know, Singapore, you know, who wouldn't want to go and try and live there for a few years. But I didn't get the job and I was absolutely gutted. I think it was probably the first time somebody had said no to me, you know, no, you can't do that. Um, so the, the chaps had said, well, where are you going to go? So the next one job that came up in the Times Ed was Bermuda. And I got the interview and got the job and then had to go and look it up in uh, a, a travel guide. And thinking, well, where is it? Where am I going? <laughs> I knew it was out that way somewhere, but I didn't know exactly where it was. So, uh, yes, it's a very tiny island. But I went out footloose and fancy free and stayed there for eight and a half years, met my husband out there and my two children were born there as well. And one of the things you did tell me about Bermuda when you first arrived is there was a bit of unrest, wasn't there, going on over there? Just a little bit. So I went out in the Christmas time and there'd been um, a murder and they still had capital punishment on the island and the people who had been um, found guilty were going to be hung. But the whole island, well, I mean, it's half the size of the Isle of Wight. It's 21 miles by two miles at its widest, at its narrowest. It's about from where I am to my window. You know, it's less than, you know, three yards. Um, but the whole island was just incensed with what was going on and didn't want this to happen. So there were riots and there were curfews and it was in news for at least two to three weeks and of course nobody had heard of Bermuda much apart from the the film you know the um, Bermuda Triangle and the deep and um, so you know everybody was going oh is that where you're going where did you say you were going yes um, and my parents actually didn't squeak at all they were very understanding they were absolutely fine I suppose my dad had been on the Russian convoys you know in the second world war so I suppose it didn't particularly phase any of them They'd lived through far worse. Yes. Um, so I went out, but the Irish Fusiliers had been called in and it started to rain. And Bermudians don't riot in the rain. So the island, by the time I got there, had all quietened down and it was absolutely fine. I love how you talk about the Bermuda, Bermuda people won't riot in the rain. <laughs> I find that really <laughs> lovely. Well, we even used it in, in the, the second school that I taught in didn't have a hall it only had the um playground for assemblies um because it's warm most of the time and when it's too hot in august the schools are closed all of july and august anyway so we did have eight weeks holiday every year and um but if ever it rained then we couldn't have an assembly so quite often we'd be going out to go to an assembly because these showers would just come through very very quickly um and then you'd suddenly find absolute chaos because some were going out ready to line up and some were coming back in and but no, Bermudians don't go out much in the rain. Um, that's a bit of a, an overstatement, but fairly, fairly accurate. But yeah. the rain, thinking about this, is, is very, very important because there's no piped water on the island. Um, the hotels have desalination plants, but every home has a white roof 
with the ridges all the way around it and you collect your own rain and it's stored in a tank underneath every house so uh the rain was important i mean a very different way of life to the uk alison for sure yes yeah. really was but very much a british um system of education because we were doing o level needlework very much a british um system of justice um, a lot of the um, police and nurses had come over from either from the Caribbean or come down over across from um, Bermuda. A lot of people from the Azores as well. Um, a lot of um, Portuguese there, particularly in the farming community. Mm. So an interesting, an interesting mm. island. Yeah. Very interesting part of your life, I'm sure. But then uh, I guess mm. at some point you came back to the UK, Alison. What happened then? Yeah, partly because um, when you're locally employed, because um, I had repeat contracts and then I was locally employed for the last sort of three years and um, you could tell the company or tell the um, Bermuda Education Authority in July and January that you want to carry on working the following academic year and in June or July they would let you know if you've got a job or not. So for six months out of every year, you didn't know what your status was going to be come September. And by the time we got the two children, both Matt and I thought, it's not secure enough. We don't know, you know, quite where we're going to be with this. Um, and he's from Edinburgh, so we had the choice of going back up to Edinburgh or to Staffordshire, where I'm from. And um, he said, no, let, let's go and be near your parents. So we came back to Staffordshire only to find that Staffordshire had got a ring fence and you couldn't work in Staffordshire as a teacher unless you'd already worked for them for a year and a day. You're going, okay. <laughs> so that was a bit difficult to start with, yeah. Matt got a job straight away, but I did a bit of supply teaching. Um, I did a maternity leave, which was a year less than a day because they wouldn't give me the extra two days because that would have then, they had to find me a job. Um, but the school that I ended up at was um, reorganising and because of that reorganisation then they were allowed to bring in people that hadn't been employed in the county and I stayed there for 21 years which seems an awfully long time but it flew by, absolutely flew by. Mm. I know you were very happy in that job for all of those years that's why it went so quick I suspect Alison but one mm. of the things I love is when you talk about how you're still connected to some of the pupils you taught, you know, now they're adults, now they've even got their own children. And I just think that's so lovely. It's very, very much so. Um, when you teach a practical subject, you get to connect with the children even more. And teaching is about connecting and inspiring. And when you're teaching as well, I taught child development, where you really get to sit down and chat to the students that you've got, because we talk through all sorts of things during those lessons. And then I taught A-level health and social care and A-level home ec and A-level textiles as well. And so you get that, that repartee and you get to know your classes very well. But the, for the last 15 years of my teaching there, I was assistant head of sixth form. And that's when you really get to know those students. They come in as clones of year 11 and they're all the same. And in those two years, they really blossom into their own independence. And then, you know, you're either sort of, you know, helping them sort of, you know, learn the study habits because they really needed that in order to prepare wherever they were going. But you also were there to encourage them to grow and to sort of really yeah, pick up the world, you know, pick up that baton and go and, you know, enjoy life. And I think this is one of the things that I do love about social media is the fact that you can now connect with people and stay keep that connection. So, yes, I mean, I'm in touch with 
a large number of those ex-students because you saw them in their formative years and you were the one that were you know writing off their UCAS references or helping them write references for jobs and things and so you know you had a real in interest in it you know investing in their future um and so yeah they're, they're local so they uh, yeah we're still in touch with an awful lot of them quite a few of them are teachers and in fact one of the girls Stacey she's actually a level textile student of mine she's now a home ec teacher in the local school and she's just had a little boy so mm. she's just back off maternity leave so I, I will you know send little cryptic notes oh comes it like going back in the classroom you know and I, I will tease them <laughs> I love that. I think as well, Alison, you know, we've talked before about, you know, education, how it changed, how it became lots of tick boxes and admin and everything else. And we won't necessarily mm. dig deep into that. But I know that was something that you felt always stopped us really teaching, you know, in the real beauty of teaching. Um, and that was something you did talk to me about a few times. It's yeah, it, I can still get on my soapbox because I believe that every child should have the very, very best education that we can afford. And when I hear the penny pinching and the, the, the sort of, you know, just the, well, to be honest, the blatant lies that go on on how we invest in those children, it, it, it breaks my heart. Um, I can't, I mean, teaching a practical subject, I was always taking ingredients in. You know, my husband would say, you know, are we feeding the school? You know, but I think, well, let's say Mary, I know Mary won't be able to get the ingredients for her scones today. So I didn't think it would matter, you know, a bit of flour and whatever. But you were always doing that. Um, and when you see a, a subject that's so important as home economics is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, home economics and PE should be the core curriculum, child development in there as well. Those are the subjects that the children are going to need to take themselves forward. and if you sort of you know take their lessons we used to have whole mornings and then it went down to an hour and 40 minutes and then it went down to an hour and you're still expected to teach the same type of practical mm. subject well no longer can you do family meals no longer can you look at ingredients that you've prepared and comment about the results that you've got no longer have you got time to sort of reflect on what they've done you know to make bread in an hour we did it but lemme there was it was just in out and mm. the powers that be did not understand the value of what we were operating partly perhaps that was our fault you know i don't know maybe we didn't shout loud enough we got some um, subsumed into technology departments and then we had to be you know expected to sort of teach how food industry worked and i had more students in the 1970s go into the food industry than i did in the 2000s you know um just a travesty travesty of you know messing about with a subject and you, you know you look about it now nutrition and health and well-being i mean we used to teach all about family finance and budgets and wants versus needs we used to encompass a huge amount um which i don't think was ever acknowledged which is frustrating yeah yeah so look, let's talk about now, because now's very exciting, because I introduced you as a professional network marketer. And of course, um, you absolutely are. But tell us more about what is that? What did I mean by that, Alison? Who are you now? I am a, a professional network marketer, and I hadn't realized that the business I was moving into 15 years ago now, I did it alongside my teaching for about three or four years, but I had not realized that it was a profession. I just went into it like an awful lot of people did, 
for that little bit of extra income to support our daughter going off to university. And the more I've learned and gone along to trainings, and particularly there's one chap which people might want to look up, Dr. Tom Barrett is a, an American psychologist who lectures on Capitol Hill and lectures to sort of, you know, he lectures to the original rocket scientists. And he is also very much empowers people in the network marketing profession. And it is about learning your craft, learning your trade and being very proud that this is a business model that can really hold its head up very high. And that's what I mean about being a professional network marketer, whether you're in the service or a, a product, it's a business that's not built on hot air, it's built on substantial products or services moving through the company. And I absolutely love it from that point of view. And I want to explore that more because I want us to talk about, okay, so Alison, in your field as a professional network marketer, what are your products? What is the business that you are so passionate about? Because you really are, and that's what I love. Um, we're obviously going to dig a bit deeper, but but just tell us about uh, who is it that you, you work with and for? Yeah, I work under the umbrella of a um, company called Forever Living. They've been going 44, 45 years now, and they are an aloe vera company. Um, it's still a family owned company. And Rex set the business up in Phoenix, Arizona, looking around for a business model and a product that would be universal. That's what his goal was, to give people financial freedom, because he understood that if you have that financial security, you can go on to be the best in your community that you want to be. And as I say, didn't know any of that when I started. I just fell into it serendipitous, like I ended up in Surrey and like I ended up in Bermuda. It just happened. Um, but really, really sort of now relish and, and so grateful because as a company over the 15 years, I've seen it, you know, go through a, you know, several business cycles, as you would expect. But I've also seen its core values. Its heart is there on its sleeve. Its head is in the right place and its feet are firmly on the ground. And the support that we get from the top team and also on a daily level from the other people within the business, I've not been able to fault. They are absolutely professionals and friendly professionals, warm and caring, which is lovely. But we're an yeah. aloe vera company. And I think that, you know, it's not an ordinary network marketing company in my mind because unfortunately network marketing has had bad press I certainly know of companies who are all about recruit 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 to try and build a big team so that then you can make the money that they promise you can make and and so yeah I know I'm talking quite generally but I know that's the kind of core message that we have seen throughout network marketing and I wanted to just kind of share my experience of starting Truly Madly Baby, which was my Dragon's Den business, feels very much aligned to the values of the aloe vera and the forever living model. Because for me, it was about, I just had Sam. He was three months old. Uh, I didn't want to be Sam's mum and only that, but I wanted to be with him. And so all of this mixed together meant I needed a purpose. I wanted to perhaps earn a bit of money. I wanted to socialize, but I also wanted to still have baby in the center of everything I was doing. So I created a product and a service, if you like, where we could then go out and do parties in homes selling beautiful baby products. But not just that, the women who were like me 
could also benefit from me creating this model for them. And of course, it was about growth. I mean, I grew the business to 432 consultants across the UK. I'm super proud of that because it was never a model of recruit, recruit. It was a model of let's give mums a purpose. Um, it's, it was very win-win and let's sell some beautiful products along the way. So forever living for me, um, and I'm a customer of Alison's, um, but forever living for me doesn't just, um, isn't just about the fact it's great products. It's also about the values, as Alison said, I'm sort of speaking to the listeners in a sense here, Alison. It's about the values, isn't it, of this business that then align with your values, which means it's not just about the money. And I think that's really important. Very, very important because it is about giving people choices and options and sharing. And as you had with your Truly Magnet Baby group there, you had a product and a business model that the others didn't have to reinvent, but could use and share and share the expertise. And that's exactly what we're doing forever. I mean, the people that I first met 15 or 16 years ago now, they are still there and I can still phone them up and say, Duck, or how did you deal with this one? Or we've got a meeting on um, Saturday. Are you coming along? You know, let's, let's all sit together and catch up because we haven't caught up for two years in real life. But also perhaps using the company as a bridge. And I've got several in the team and we talked about this, I think, in one of the book clubs where people have needed to step back from what they were doing because either in the way in which they would be treated at work or family circumstances that they needed to step back and take some sort of self-evaluation and a breathing space and forever came along at that time which allowed them to still earn some income still get that brain um, going still feel they got some sort of sense of purpose but it's very very much on their own terms so there's not dictated hours and they could then reflect and then move forward. And I've had several in the team who've been able to use forever as a bridge. And yeah, that's absolutely fine. It isn't, as you were saying, you know, that broad brush stroke that uh, some of the tabloid press will have when they've got nothing else to write about and just saying it is about all, you know, recruit, 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 you know, like a pyramid. And I actually say to people who I know really well, do you know what? I haven't sold a pyramid in 15 years. I must be <laughs> awful at this job. That, that you can only do that if they've got a sense of humor um because yeah i mean i can remember somebody at you know at coming to the gym and saying oh look you put 300 pounds in and you'll end up at the top of the pyramid and you'll get you know twenty thousand pounds you're thinking that's a load of rubbish businesses as we both know are not built on hot air which is all those schemes are those ponzi schemes true good quality network marketing companies have a product and a service and that's what holds us together. And that's what generates the income. And you can then choose whether you want to just become a customer, whether you want to share and grow the business, or whether you just want to use the products for yourself. The choice is always there. And I love that about it. I love the fact that the structure is there, the values are there, and you can take from this business what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better, actually, Alison. I love how you talk about it. And that, I think that's the other thing. There's a, there's a couple of things. The fact that you've been there for so long within that business, that's testament to how good the business is. The fact you have a choice whether you actually build an empire, because actually, you know, if you work hard enough in some of these businesses, you can build your little empire. But it is a choice. And if you look at statistics, and we mentioned this the other day to each other, 
you know, the, the people who really go on to have a very wealthy business in network marketing are a small percentage. But look at entrepreneurs in general and look at businesses and, and you know, the small micro businesses. Only a certain percentage of those businesses go on to be very wealthy businesses. It's just a human factual statistic, isn't it? I mean, you look at schools, there's only one headmaster, you know, and there's all the other staff. You know, you look at the Church of England, there's only one Archbishop of Canterbury, and then you've got all of the clergy around the world. Everybody, it's built like that. That's human nature. In fact, I was listening to a lovely program, went off for coffee with one of my customers um, today and listening to the radio, and they were talking about boys going into professional football. And even the boys who are already in the academies I think it was something like 0.03%, all right, will ever get a professional um, contract. Now, they're already in academies. That's not talking about the ones that haven't been accepted in academies. But we don't rubbish the game of football and say it's elitist. You know, we still allow the boys to go to Sunday football and to do their training and encourage them, you know. And, and net marketing is no different. You get from it what you put in, like any business, any profession. But also what is lovely about this particular company with Forever is that it's there as a lovely platform for you to build and grow when you wish, put to one side if you want to, develop it in the way that suits what you're particularly looking for. So for me, it was extra income to help our daughter through university. It did exactly that. It then allowed me to walk away from teaching early, which I needed to do because otherwise I would have killed somebody. As a company, if you choose the good company, that the products of the surface are something that you really do fall in love with, all right, then you've got a business model that will serve you till you're well into your 60s, 70s, 80s. And if we're living longer, we need to keep our brains going. I still meet new people. Why wouldn't I still do my business? It makes sense. It's absolutely it's great fun. We actually have that in the job description. You, you live it and breathe it. Everybody knows, Alison, if they know you, that you love what you do. You know, it just oozes from you. It's, it's adorable. I think <laughs> the other thing that you mentioned to me as well, which was very interesting, is the whole self-development thing and how actually Forever Living provides a whole learning for you, which is ongoing, and self-development side of the business is really superb. And that's worth mentioning, I think. Without a doubt. And again, as I, I mentioned, when we were sort of looking at this as a podcast was teaching again, as we've said, the budgets were really, really cut to the bone. They were cut into the bone. So there was no professional development whatsoever, I would say, probably in about the last 15 years of my teaching career. And when I went along to a forever meeting, I had doctors, vets, um, professionals from lots of different walks of life sitting there and giving me information and I was just able to start taking notes again my brain was going oh gosh this is so refreshing I'm being challenged as well as the challenge of running a business I'm also being challenged intellectually and it has opened up so many doors you know I mentioned Dr Tom Barrett I mean I've been to his you know two or three day lectures when we used to have those in, in person just an absolute delight to be made to think and the books that it's introduced me to, uh, I mean, I've got a whole bookshelf now that's just filled with ideas that I never knew existed when I was teaching, because there you're just on the rails to get people through the, 
through the um, the exam system and you know no professional development at all so the joy of having that um personal development i think has been absolutely fabulous and it leads into other parts of life that's what's so nice my children will now say you're a much more positive person mum you know you're much more hopeful now rather than coming home you know for God's sake, you wouldn't believe what's going to happen. Open the bottle of wine before I scream, sort of, you know, on a Monday morning or Monday evening. I'm, I'm now far more relaxed. You know, you haven't got that external pressure, um, which, again, is a very good way to live life. You can challenge yourself. There are plenty of incentives to go for, but you can also build the business around the other things and, that you value in life as well. It sounds it sounds great. And I, and I... I love that we have talked about network marketing in such a positive way because I think it does need positive press now and again. And certainly this company for me stands out. Just uh, that's a very external opinion as well, Alison. You haven't paid me any money to say that. <laughs> Just to kind of bring things back together then, um, I, I would love you to sort of share maybe three things. It doesn't have to be three, but maybe three things that if anyone's listening, they're thinking, gosh, this is actually what I need. I need to do something that's the bridge or I need to do something that's a change. And maybe network marketing is for me, not necessarily forever. We're not here on a big promotion campaign for forever, although it's a fabulous company. But what are the three things, Alison, that you would recommend they they think about or look for? One that we've already touched on, make sure that it's a product or a service that the company are offering that you enjoy. A bit like the Antiques Roadshow and people say, you know, why did you collect that? Well, I fell in love with it. And then it becomes a collection, doesn't it? Don't go and buy something just for the financial value. Let it be something that you think, yes, I really, you know, I love those health products or like utility warehouse. I love the fact that I can help people save on their, on their um, utility bills. So core, whatever their business is, check that that's something that you really do enjoy and that you're going to enjoy learning about. And then secondly, do your homework. Go and talk to people who've been in the business five minutes and people who've been in the business five years and just sit down and have a cup of coffee with them or a virtual cuppa. And, and then think, I would always say, what, what do you want? What do you want out of the business? And will this company support you? And if you do want a bit of breathing space, will it be putting pressure on you to do, you know, X, Y, and Z? Or will it say, no, you can grow in your own time? Or, you know, if you want something that you're going to leave as a legacy, because that's one of the beautiful things about Forever Living is that my children will inherit the income. You want something that's really long term and global and go for a company that's got that stability and has got that global reach and is going to sort of really support you for the long term. So choose a product that you love. Go and check them out. And head office, by the way, has got an open door policy. You can pop in there. It's on the M40, M40 anytime you want. All right. You can just literally go and wander around the building. They'll take you around. And then thirdly, think about what what will the company offer you? What is it you're particularly looking for and will it, will it offer you that? And please don't think it's a quick fix. You've got to learn your skills. You've got to learn your business. You've got like any absolute profession. You know, you wouldn't want an airline pilot to go and take that plane off after he's only been you know, sort of practicing in the simulator for five minutes. You want him to put the flying hours in. And it's exactly the same in a network marketing business. You've got to put your flying hours in before it will deliver what you're looking for. 
That's a great analogy, Alison, isn't it? That That's such a good analogy. I think there are three very, very wonderful and important points that you make and what great advice for the listeners. Um, I want to just make sure before we finally finish our wonderful human conversation, Alison, that you tell us all how we can connect with you because I think that's very important. Alison's so worth connecting with, so you must. Whereabouts, Alison? Yes, on LinkedIn is probably the best. And uh, and then obviously through your networking group as well, Jules, because I'm there, you know, so it can pop up. And I'd love to have a virtual cuppa with anybody that tunes into this and just share ideas and, and share you know, hopes and dreams of, you know, where are we all going to be in the next sort of four or five years time? Yeah, exactly. And what we'll do, we'll obviously put the links into the notes on the podcast as well. Alison, it's been such a great conversation. I knew it would be. Absolutely. A pleasure, Jules. I always love talking with you and I can't believe that the time goes so quickly. But thank you for your support because it's invaluable. It really is. You've helped me enormously. So uh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very, very much indeed for the honour. Oh, and thank you too. And listeners, if you have just sat and listened to this amazing conversation with Alison, just have a think about what we've just talked about and think about the reasons why network marketing maybe isn't quite as bad as everybody might have told you as long as you find the right business for you i think that's the real message here so thank you alison for your wise words so if you've enjoyed the podcast please like and subscribe we are on apple podcasts we're on spotify we're on stitcher and this is also on youtube as well so you can catch up with us on there but until next time tata for now you've just been listening to the human conversation podcast with jules white to find out more about the other work that jules does please visit her website www.liveitloveitsellit.co.uk and if you enjoyed the podcast then please do leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy her show thanks for listening and see you next time <laughs>